As we come to Numbers chapters 7 and 8, we have the nation of Israel coming forward, right? They've, they've received the law. They're there at Mount Sinai. They've been, it's been a year since they came out of the whole process of coming out of Egypt. They've agreed to the covenant with God. They're his people. He's done the census for the 12 tribes, everyone over 20, the 11 tribes minus Leviticus, the Levites, and then the 12th tribe being the subdivisions of Joseph being subdivided of Manasseh and Ephraim. So they've got the draft for all the men over 20. The three tribes are stationed to the north, the south, the west, and the east. And then inside of that, that camp layout for about two and a half million people is the tabernacle, the central place of worship. And God did the census of the Levites between the Morarites, Kohathites, and uh, Gershonites. And they camp around the tabernacle in their areas as well. And they all have descriptions of work that they would do as unto the Lord from the Lord in the service of worship in the tabernacle. And so we've covered all that. And then as we, as we come forward tonight, now they're in motion. Things are happening now. Now it's time to get to work. You, you, they've done their orientation. They've done their preparation. It's time to get to work. They're about to be on the move, and all that they've been preparing for is about to go into place. And so we pick it up in chapter 7, verse 1, where we read this. Now it came to pass, when Moses had finished setting up the tabernacle, that he had anointed it and consecrated it, and all of its furnishings, and the altar, and all its utensils. So he anointed them and consecrated them. Then the leaders of Israel, the heads of their father's houses, who were the leaders of the tribes and over those who were numbered made an offering and they brought their offering before the Lord six covered carts 12 oxen a cart for every two of the leaders for each one an ox and they presented them before the tabernacle this chapter is all about the leaders making their presentations of offerings to the Lord on behalf of their tribe as God has prescribed in beginning this whole process of the worship there at the tabernacle but I want to right away point out something that gets my attention, and it gets it very strongly in light of what we've been through in the last six, seven months with churches shut down, churches not even reopening in some cases, some churches still doing uh, broadcast only. I saw today that Calvary Costa Mesa is going to back to two services now, but they're going to both be outside on the softball field there. It's neat to see them making adjustments. We're all still making adjustments Yesterday when I was walking by here to go to the Shoreline front office and I walked by the playground area there, I kind of like, wow, man, we really did that, didn't we? We did like six services in that playground area back in July and August. And I was like, I was like, well, Lord, thanks that we're not out there. And then I thought, thanks that we could be out there. And thanks that if we need to be, we can be out there. And I just went right on with my day after that. I thought, if you told me a year ago that we would have done all those services in that playground area where the kids ride the tricycles, I would have been like, in what universe are you living in? But the one we're living in. Which brings us back to Moses anointing and consecrating the tabernacle. Because as much as the tabernacle was a place of animal sacrifices, according to God's plan that all foreshadowed Christ and who he is and what he do for us on the cross, and a way for God's people to get right with God when they sin, we've been covering that in Leviticus and even last week in Numbers, the tabernacle was first and foremost the central place of worship for God's people. Like the temple that it precedes, it's the central place of worship 
Jesus would quote the Old Testament and say, have you not read that my father's house shall be a house of prayer? Speaking of the temple and what they had done to desecrate the temple in his time. There's something special about the central place of worship. And there, even in the book of Acts, when the early church began, though they met house to house, like we're doing now, like we've never done before as a church family in the history of worship generation, they still met in the temple daily. They had that place in Solomon's porch that was their place. In their Jewish background, their whole lives, they went to the temple three times a year for the three feasts, Passover, Pentecost, and Feast of Tabernacles. And it was so central to them. It was the flashpoint where their faith came with the Lord. It's, it, was, it was a central place of worship, even for the 12 apostles, because they would make the journey from the north or from the south in any direction for those holidays. Even on the day of Pentecost, when the church was birthed, it was birthed there in Jerusalem while they're all gathered there to the central place of worship, the temple. And as hard as this time has been for the church in America and really the church worldwide, what's been difficult for me personally to watch is where churches are still closed in many cases and where churches have gone out of business. Now, you talk about over 20,000 small businesses have gone out of business since the COVID circumstance began. But there are so many churches that they've just disappeared. You can only do artificial church for so long. It's like doing an internet relationship. It, it, it has to be in person at some point. You have to connect. It's not my opinion. It's God's word. He said that we're not to forsake the assembling of the brethren, which is the manner of some, and even so much more so as we see the day approaching, the day of the Lord. And even the psalmist declared when he felt like the wicked were prevailing and he almost lost hope, he said when he came into the sanctuary, his vision was refreshed. He got his perspective back, like us singing these songs with Jack leading us in worship. We get our perspective back from the craziness of life and where it seems like good is evil and evil is good. And that's certainly the case in our world as we see it right now. We come back in here and we're worshiping and we're singing songs to Jesus together in the place that is anointed, in the place that is consecrated, the church. Yes, we, the people, are the church, but this is the central place of worship. And that's why it's so important that we do gather together, that we make this the highest priority, always, always the highest priority. Because as iron sharpens iron, so we sharpen one another's countenance. This is the place to worship Jesus. This is the place to receive his word. This is the place to break bread and have fellowship. This is the place to cry with one another, pray with another, and encourage one another. And the devil hates the central place of worship. This situation that we're in has played so perfectly into devious people and demonic forces who are opposed to the church. And we're seeing what's happening. And I'm so glad you're here tonight. And you know, we, we may be forced back outside in the not too distant future. And if it was snowing, I'd still meet outside. I would. Like if I was pastoring in Nizhny Novgorod or Moscow right now or Sadakard, I'd still, if we couldn't, I would find a way, just like they did under the Soviet Union. 
But my first choice is to be in the house of worship. There's 53 plus years of worship and praise that have happened in this building. We were here for the 50th anniversary, and some of us served Shoreline so they could enjoy their anniversary services, and we served in the children's ministry in various capacities at that event. And this is why I think church is so important, the building itself. We don't worship the building, but we realize something special happens in the building. And so we got to just keep praying for churches in America that have been maligned and attacked by evil people in power who are demonically inspired and demonically led to try and silence the church because they're doing it in the name of this situation. But if you know anything about recent church history and the persecuted church, this is what they do in Pakistan. This is what they do in Indonesia. This is what they do in Africa, particularly North Africa regions like Nigeria and Chad and those Sudan and those places. They destroy the church building. They burn church buildings. When ISIS, before they were defeated by our current president, when ISIS was attacking the churches in Syria and in the Middle East, they would destroy the buildings. They would desecrate the buildings because they want to demoralize the believers from coming together and doing what we're doing right here tonight in this place. And they know, the devil knows, you can put believers in a house and that's a good thing, but it's still not the same as a central place of worship. And the Communist Party in China, 25, 30 years ago, with the Three Front Patriot Church, which was the state church that was under communism, controlled by the communists, they compromised with the people of China and said, you can have a church, but it's government sanctioned, and we tell you what you can say or not say, and you can never say anything against communist ideology, which is atheist. So that makes no sense. So all these believers went underground in these home churches, And they were chased and pursued and beaten and harassed. And now we have close to a million people that have just disappeared in China, people of faith. But what's most interesting to me is that the churches have been torn down now. See, those three front patriot churches that the Communist Party allowed that compromised the word of God, they'll let you do that for a season, but eventually they'll destroy you because the Communist Party knows what the devil knows. That if you destroy the central place of worship and identity, you're attacking the core of the church. So as long as we can meet in this building, come to church. Come to this building and come in the house of the Lord. Come, let us go up to the house of the Lord. Let's go to the place that is anointed by the Holy Spirit. Let's go to the place that is consecrated by the blood of Jesus Christ and let us gather together. Because there may be a day we can't. So appreciate the day we can. And I'm glad you're here tonight. And I know you know what I'm talking about here. Moses anointed and consecrated the central place of worship. And that tent would lead those people and the coming generations for centuries as a central place representing God's presence and the ability to worship him for his people. Don't underestimate the value of the local chapel in a small village when earthquakes happen. Do you understand what I'm saying? We're the church, and we have to continue to pray, and we have to continue to value and esteem what God values and esteems. And if they anointed and consecrated the tabernacle, then we need to value this place. I've done weddings here. I've done funerals here. We've broken bread here for 16 plus years. I've taught through the entire Bible here. This is the house of God. 
And I hope when you come here, you do value it as something different than going to Walmart or Walgreens, right? Does this building mean more to you than Target? Does it mean more to you than Whole Foods, a box store? I hope it does. Does it mean more to you than a school or a college classroom? I hope it does. Don't lose the awe. We don't have the stained glass windows like I grew up in, growing up in the Catholic Church and those types of things. But there's a reason those churches are highly esteemed all over our country, not just Catholic, if you will, but like Presbyterian and the type of churches like that, like John MacArthur would have, because they represent the place of worship. This place is anointed, and this place is consecrated by the Lord, just like the tabernacle was. And we need to keep that in mind as we're watching lots of churches close, as we've watched churches be destroyed all over the world this year, their buildings taken from them. Let us value and esteem highly who we are in this place, in Jesus' name. We're his church, the people, meeting in our central place of worship. Praise the Lord, huh? Now we read on verse 5, verse 4. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Accept these from them. Yeah, the, the, the whole thing with the, the carts. So this is an application as well, verses 4 through 9. Is that, notice this. This is very interesting to me. It says that, did I read this? I didn't read it. I'm sorry, thank you. I, I've been reading this all day and all week, so it's kind of like, I'm getting ready for what's around the corner. You see those verses around the corner from here? All 12 tribes? Yeah, yeah. Sorry, let me read this. Okay, here we go. Verse 4. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Accept these from them, that they may be used in doing the work of the tabernacle of meeting, and you shall give them to the Levites, to every man according to his service. So Moses took the carts and the oxen and gave them to the Levites. Two carts and four oxen he gave to the sons of Gershon according to their service. Four carts and eight oxen he gave to the sons of Merari according to their service under the authority of Ithamar, the son of Aaron the priest, but to the sons of Kohath he gave none, because theirs was the service of the holy things which they carried on their shoulders. I mentioned this a few weeks ago, but God knows what we need for our ministries, and it varies. And so they get, they get the eight carts, or the six carts, and the twelve oxen, and if you say, well, it's, it should all be equal. It should all be equal between the three different subdivisions. Everyone gets... You know, two carts and, you know, four oxen. That's the way it's supposed to work. But our needs are not equal, nor is our equipping from the Lord. We don't all have equal equipping. Some people can learn 10 languages because they have a photographic memory, and they're designed to work that way. Some people struggle with just one, reading and writing, right? We're not all equal. And God has given different gifts for different purposes. And even as we have different needs to fulfill our ministries, we're not equal. So think about this. It was 12 and 6, and of the subdivision, the Kohathites, they don't get any oxen or any carts. Why? Because God said they're going to carry this stuff. They have the poles. What a privilege. You, you guys, you carry, you carry the backpack. You, you, you carry this stuff. You don't need carts. And remember, what happened when they tried to use a cart with the Ark of the Covenant? That's right. They died trying. And David was like, why did he not follow that in the first place? His party was over, right? He had the party, the parade to bring the, the ark to Jerusalem. He's like, no, that's not going to work. You know, you don't put that on a cart. It's right. You know, God, like God be true to a man a liar. His word's always going to be his word. Whether you're King David or Pastor Joey or whoever it might be, his word's, all, his word's not going to turn void. It's gonna, he's, we want to be on the right side of his word. So the Kohathites, they carry all those precious things on poles. They don't need the carts. 
Why would, why would they get a cart? Like maybe, maybe their wives want to ride in the carts, but that's not what they're for. So they all walk. Now, the Morarites, they get, the, they get more carts. They have heavier lifting. Remember, they have the boards. Their stuff, they have tonnage. The weight of their stuff is estimated to be in tonnage. They had a heavy stuff. And so they get more carts. They have more stuff. Remember we talked about your job? Hey, for the next 30, 20 years is your job. Plank number three, four, five, and six. Every time we break camp, well, now you get, it goes on these carts. And it goes a certain way. Like I said, just when they break down the U.S. Open to surfing, the scaffolding, how they have all that stuff, and it all goes a certain way, and it goes in those bins, and it, all, it takes weeks to set it up, and it takes weeks to tear it down because it all goes a certain way. And that's what this is for. So, and then so the, the Gershonites get two, two carts, and the Morites get four, and the Kothites get none. So it's according to need with ministry needs, and God knows our needs. And this got me thinking. Every ministry, if we think of us being a church entity, worship generation, we all have our place in the body of Christ, part of the universal church. That's why it's so important to be connected to a local church. We all have different roles, different things that we, how we connect. So if you're part of Harvest and Greg Laurie at Orange County or Greg Laurie Riverside, you, 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 you're so connected to the Harvest Crusades and what he does and all that type of outreach that he does and your, your giving goes toward that kind of stuff and just it works that way. But if you're connected with Samaritan's Purse, and that's not necessarily your home church, but you love Franklin Graham and Samaritan's Purse, then his needs are different. Greg Laurie doesn't need doctors and dentists and construction workers, but Samaritan's Purse needs doctors, dentists, and construction workers. Because Greg Laurie doesn't go rebuild damage from tornadoes or hurricanes across the country on a regular basis, but Franklin Graham does. So Franklin Graham needs people who know how to tear things apart and rebuild them. And he also needs medical people. Or how about Doctors Without Borders? You need medical people. And I get stuff for mission appeals all the time coming to us as a church. And a lot of times, well, they all need money. But sometimes they want, they want doctors and they want dentists. They want certain skills to fulfill their ministries. This is important to understand distinctions in ministries in your own life, as we think like God gives each one a gift, and we think about our role in the local church or in a community of believers, but we also think about each church and its place. And I've thought a lot this year about worship generation and our place in the Calvary Chapel movement. I've thought about our place in the overall body of Christ here in Southern California. And obviously, our strength is who we are as a local church. We're a very healthy local church. We're very blessed. We have wonderful men and women in our leadership. We're a very generous church. We're able to sow bountifully in missions. We're able to do things. We, we have great resources in Orange County. We have a generous church. And we're always just praying about not where money's going to come from, but where are we going to send it? Isn't that a nice thing to be praying about? Like, you know, we, it's boomerang. We just we, we throw it out there and it comes back more. And it's a wonderful thing because you can't outgive God. And he's able to supply our needs according to his riches and glory. And as we know with COVID, we're like, are we going to buckle down or are we going to expand? And the Lord said, expand. And we have. And we've been blessed. People ask how are we holding up. Like, we're, we're, we're way stronger financially this year than we were last year. And we've given away way more. And right now we're just praying about, just really praying right now. I mean, I can look at that Calvary Chapel missionary prayer booklet and think, who do we want to bless big time? And just praying over everybody, just going over it. And, and the Lord says, hey, this person, this is how we have these people on our list of people we, 
And who do we have, how are we, who have we already given support to that we want to give more support to? And it's a wonderful place to be. So I look at us like, hey, the Marites get four carts, the Gershonites get two, and the Kothites get zero because it matches the needs. And we don't have a lot of doctors and nurses, but we definitely have dinghy. That's money in Russian. So that's why we, that's why I encourage you guys to take, take these lists all the time, you know, that we have all these different things we pray for, these people. Like, I mean, these are real people. These are real people that went far away from everything they knew and gave up everything to be doing what they're doing in faraway places like Siberia. And this is what we get to be a part of. These are our carts. These are our oxen. This is what God, what God provides for us, we sow for these people. You know, it's really fun to pray for people in Ukraine and realize you can do something really special to make their year in ministry. It's a wonderful feeling. That's who we are. So we just embrace who we are. And I don't need to worry about, or not worry about, but compare myself to Greg Laurie with Phil Wickham and a quarter million people and the president on Easter Sunday getting saved. Because that's just not, those aren't my carts and my oxen. This is our carts and our oxen. So praise the Lord to be content and secure and excited and passionate, content and secure in what God's called us to do as a church and called you individually to do as a believer, but to be content and secure and passionate of, of how he's using us. We're so blessed, and we get to bless so many people. I mean, like, I got all kinds of prayers. This is my little Russian prayer list. These are all the Russian Calvaries from the Calvary website and just praying for these people. I got the population of the cities. I can picture it all, and, um, you know, it's, it's wonderful that we get to be a part of this, and God opened that door for us. Praise the Lord. All right, let's read on. Verse 10. Now, the tribes are going to come with their offerings, and we're going to, we're going to read these in increments. Because there's 12 tribes, Joseph being subdivided into Manasseh and Ephraim, I'm going to read them in increments of three. And it will seem repetitive because it is. But what I've chosen to do is I'm going to bring out a little topic of application on each of the three just to kind of keep us alert and sharp as we read through this and as you read it with me read along I ask you to think about maybe is there something that jumps out to you because when you read chapters like this in the bible it'd be very easy to go like oh it's it's saying the same thing but if it's saying the same thing it's saying the same thing for a reason there's something there and I'm going to point out a couple things while I believe they're there verse 10 now the leaders of the 12 tribes offered the dedication offerings for the altar when it was anointed. So the leaders offered their offerings before the altar. For the Lord said to Moses, they shall offer their offerings one liter each day for the dedication of the altar. So they came one by one, one day at a time, 12 days in a row, to dedicate the altar of the tabernacle and all this stuff. So we start with here, verse 12. And the one who offered his offering on the first day was Nashon, the son of Aminadab from the tribe of of Judah. His offering was one silver platter, the weight of which was 130 shekels, and one silver bowl of 70 shekels, according to the shekel of the sanctuary, both of them full of fine flour mixed with oil as grain offering, one gold pan of 10 shekels full of incense, 
one young bull, one ram, one male lamb in its first year as a burnt offering, one kid of the goats as a sin offering, and for the sacrifice of peace offering, two oxen, five rams, five male goats, and five male lambs in their first year. This was the offering of Nashon, the son of Abinadad. And on the second day, Nathaniel, the son of Zur, the leader of Issachar, presented an offering. For his offering, he offered one silver platter, the weight of which was 130 shekels, one silver bowl of 70 shekels, according to the shekel of the sanctuary, both of them full of fine flour mixed with oil as a grain offering, one gold pan of 10 shekels full of incense, one young bull, one ram, one male lamb in its first year as a burnt offering, one kid of the goats as a sin offering, as a sacrifice of peace offering, two oxen, five rams, five male goats, and five male lambs in their first year. This was the offering of Nathaniel, the son of Zur. On the third day, Eliab, the son of Helon, leader of the children of Zebulun, presented an offering. His offering was one silver platter, the weight of which was 130 shekels, one silver bowl of 70 shekels, according to the shekel of the sanctuary, both of them full of fine flour mixed with oils, a grain offering, one gold pan of 10 shekels full of incense, one young bull, one ram, one male lamb in his first year as a burnt offering, one kid of the goats as a sin offering, and for the sacrifice of peace offering, two oxen, five rams, five male goats, and five male lambs in their first year. This was the offering of Eliab, the son of Helon. So these are the first three tribes. These are the tribes that face the east. So if you remember a few weeks ago when God gave the placement, when he did the conscription and the draft, he said which direction each tribe would camp surrounding the tabernacle. And so now he's following that order. God is following the order. So he told Moses, hey, you tell him, one leader each day. Now, remember, these guys represented a couple hundred thousand people, at least, each one of them. They represented their military units that were in the tens of thousands, the men over 20. But they also represented the people of that tribe, the wives, the children, so on and so forth. And so, one by one, they came, and they came in order. The same order God gave in the first two chapters, starting with Judah, he does here. As you look at these first three tribes and you consider their situation going on the first three days. And you look at where the tribes of Israel eventually settled in the land. Like most of your Bibles have a map in the back where it says, when Joshua brought them in the land, this is where the tribes settled. You know, so Naphtali was up to the north. Dan was far north to the east. And then, you know, Judah's in the south and whatnot. As I look at these tribes, I don't see any connection whatsoever to their eventual placement in the land. I don't see a connection. Just going to say that right away. I, you look at them like, why God chose each of these three tribes to be together to the east, the west, the south, and the north, I don't completely understand a, a purpose. I don't have to understand a purpose. But on this first group of three, I would tell you, this is definitely order. This is order. And God has an order. And we, we can never lose track of that. God has an order for his universe, how he made it, the six days of creation. There was order on the first day, the second day, the third day. There's order. The whole universe is like a giant clock working, right? There's order to everything God does. And he has an order in the human experience. He has an order in the family unit. There's order. God is a God of order. In fact, we see many times in the Bible what revival really is in the Old Testament and the New Testament is setting in order things that are out of order. So it's always to our benefit to follow the order that God puts things in. We don't want to put the cart before the horse, as they say, but let God lead and each thing in its order. In fact, God makes all things perfect in his time according to his order. And so it would stand to reason that for the next 39 years, 
they're going to pack up camp a number of times. They're going to break down camp, pack up camp, and it's like a walkthrough. It's sort of like meet the teacher day at school when you're in elementary school. It's like the first day of school that gets you ready for the first day of school. Like you show up, here's your classroom, here's your teachers. Hi, Mrs. Baran, you know, Miss Jennifer, whatever. And, and that's how it works. If you've never been at that meet the teacher day, it happens every year at most schools like that for the younger grades. And then the next day, the kids come back. They've got their backpack. They've got their mask and shield or whatever they got in 2020. But they know where they're going and they know who they're going with because they've already done a walkthrough. This is a walkthrough. Before they ever actually break camp and roll out toward Kadesh Barina, they're getting a walkthrough. It's like the Lord's like, okay, here's how it's going to work. So let's practice this because this is exactly how it's going to work for the next 39 years. Judah, you come first. You come first, Nashon. Yeah, you. You're Judah, right? Yeah, you're Judah. What orders Judah? First, you know, like someone has to lead off. Someone has to go first. Judah goes first. And there's order. So these first three tribes coming from the east, they just remind us, stay in line, stay in our lane, and go in the order that God's given us. Know our place. Follow the order. God's a God of order. He does random things sometimes, but even when he does it random, it's still consistent with his character and his overall plan of order. Now we get the next three group of tribes that faced the south. On the fourth day, Eliezer, the son of Shedeur, leader of the children of Reuben, presented an offering. His offering was one silver platter, the weight of which was 130 shekels, one silver bowl of 70 shekels, according to the shekel of the sanctuary, both of them full of fine flour mixed with oil as a grain offering. One gold pan of 10 shekels full of incense, one young bull ram, one male lamb in his first year as a burnt offering, one kid of the goats as a sin offering, and as a sacrifice of peace offering, two oxen, five rams, five male goats, five male lambs in their first year. This was the offering of Eleazar, son of Shadur. On the fifth day, Shemuliel, the son of Zerai Shaddaiah, leader of the children of Simeon, presented an offering. His offering was one silver platter, the weight of which was 130 shekels, one silver bowl of 70 shekels, according to the shekel of the sanctuary, both of them full of fine flour and mixed with oilless grain offering, one gold pan of 10 shekels full of incense, one young bull, one ram, one male lamb in its first year as a burnt offering, one kid of the goats as a sin offering, and as a sacrifice of peace offering, two oxen, five rams, five male goats, and five male lambs in their first year. This was the offering of Shalomiliel, the son of Zerai Shaddaiah. On the sixth day, Eliasaph, the son of Duel, leader of the children of Gad, presented an offering. His offering was one silver platter, the weight of which was 130 shekels, one silver bowl of 70 shekels, according to the shekel of the sanctuary, both of them full of fine flour mixed with oil as a grain offering, one gold pan of 10 shekels full of incense, one young bull, one ram, one male lamb in his first year as a burnt offering, one kid of the goats as a sin offering, and as a sacrifice of peace offerings, two oxen, five rams, five male goats, and five male lambs in their first year. This was the offering of Elias, Eliasaph, the son of Duel. So the second cluster of three, these are the three tribes that would camp in the east. Excuse me, they camp to the south. So east and south, which is what, because that's south right now. My straight ahead is south. So south and east, all right? And so here they are. We can see that they're in their order. So now here they come, four, five, and six. So now they're finding their groove, right? The, the 12 tribes are the leaders. Like, it's not so bad. It's not so bad. Like, hey, you know, they did it. It's... All right, we got this. Hey, who goes first? We're like, hey, we're the east. You know, we're the south. You go, you go first. Okay, all right, we got this. 
I mean, how hard can it be? We're all bringing the same offering, right? Like, I've seen him do it. Like, seen him do it. No one's tripped over themselves. It's like a college graduation, you know, just get it done, right? Like, there's a, they're getting familiar with this, and they're just going through this. Well, the second thing that really points out to me, that stands out to me, and I'm sure most of you caught this, there's blood. There's sacrifice. These leaders, they're bringing animals to be sacrificed. They're bringing animals whose blood will be shed, and it's a reminder to them that they're sinners, and they need substitutionary sacrifices for their sins. In all this, it, it seemed like a fun parade, almost like, yay, you know, it's like D.L. Moody's gospel pony coming down the road in Chicago in 1872. But it's not. It's the leaders of the tribes, and they're bringing all these animals, and these animals are going up, but they're not coming back. There's blood. The life is in the blood, and the blood has to be shed. These are sin offerings, burnt offerings, and peace offerings. And did you notice that it's blood, they're all there's blood for all of them, which just reminds us that without the shedding of blood, there can be no remission of sins. So even in this joyful two-week adventure where they're dedicating these things and bringing these things and they're beginning their worship service, we cannot come in this building anytime ever in the name of Jesus and not understand that we are saved by the blood of the Lamb and we're under the blood and it's the precious blood of God that redeems us from our sins. If church is anything less than people gathering in a building or a house or anywhere else, and they're not under the blood, it's not church. Church is Jesus Christ's blood shed to redeem us. And the redemption of our souls is very costly because we're not redeemed with gold and silver, but with the precious blood as of a lamb without blemish. And this is a foreshadow of that. You're going to go to the tabernacle and worship as a leader. Hey, you're coming with the blood. The blood. The blood. There's always the blood. The life is in the blood. And they're sinners, they're leaders of tens of thousands of military and hundreds of thousands of people of their tribe. And don't you come. Don't come to the tabernacle and play religion. You come to the tabernacle and you bring the animals for the blood. Because you're a sinner and blood has to be shed if you're coming near. Now we read on to the next cluster. Verse 48. On the seventh day, Elishamah, the son of Ahamahud, leader of the children of Ephraim, presented an offering. His offering was one silver platter, the weight of which was 130 shekels, and one silver bowl of 70 shekels. According to the shekel of the sanctuary, both of them full of fine flour, mixed with oil as a grain offering, one gold pan of the 10 shekels full of incense, one young bull, one ram, one male lamb in its first year as a burnt offering, one kid of the goats as a sin offering, as a sacrifice of peace offering. Here we go. Two oxen, five rams, five male goats, five male lambs in the first year. This was the offering of Elishama, the son of Ahumahud. On the eighth day, Gamaliel, the son of Pedahuzur, leader of the children of Manasseh, so this is one of the subdivisions of Joseph's tribes, uh, Ephraim and Manasseh, these are the subdivisions. The leader of the children of Manasseh presented an offering. His offering was one silver platter, the weight of which was 130 shekels, one silver bowl of 70 shekels, according to the shekel of the sanctuary, both of them full of fine flour, mixed with oil as a grain offering, one gold pan of 10 shekels full of incense, one young bull, one ram, one male lamb in its first year as a burnt offering, one kid of the goats as a sin offering and as a sacrifice of peace offering, two oxen, five rams, five male goats, five male lambs in their first year. This was the offering of Gamaliel, the son of Pedahazur. On the ninth day, Abaddon, the son of Gideoni, 
The leader of the children of Benjamin presented an offering. His offering was one silver platter, and its weight was 130 shekels, one silver bowl of 70 shekels, according to the shekels of the sanctuary, both of them full of fine flour and mixed with oil as a grain offering, one gold pan of 10 shekels full of incense, one young bowl, one ram, one male lamb in its first year as a burnt offering, one kid of the goats as a sin offering, and as a sacrifice of peace offerings, two oxen, five rams, five male goats, and five male lambs in their first year. This was the offering of Abinadad, the son of Gideoni. So these are the ones coming from the West, which now I'm going to come back to something I already touched on briefly, but something to think about as we go through this third cluster of three. Now we've got nine of the tribes having presented their offerings. Not only do they all come by blood, but they all come with the equal gift. Now this is interesting because we're not talking about carts for the Gershonites or no carts for the Kohathites. We're talking about the commonality of what they all had when they came. And isn't it nice that God makes one way? Because Jesus said he's the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through him. There is no other name given among men by which we must be saved than the name of Jesus. We all are saved the same way. That's why there's only two types of books in eternity. There's the land's book of life, and there's the books of unbelief. And all of us in this room that are truly saved, and the Lord knows who is or who isn't or whatever in any gathering, we're saved because of our faith in Jesus Christ and that we pass from death to life and have been born of his spirit. And in so doing, we are in the Lamb's book of life. It's like these five rams, five goats, one this, five of that. There's an equality. We all are saved the same way. Isn't that awesome? It's not like a world religion where maybe we're, we're, we're doing different works or different penances or different deeds that somehow take us to different levels of heaven or of nirvana or anything else that we might think heaven would be, where you were just way better than me or I was way better than you, and I go to a higher place and you go to a lesser place, or we might say the children of a lesser God. Not so in Jesus' name. We are all equally saved through the same Savior. He will save his people from their sins. And the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. So even the commonality and the equality of what the gifts were just reminds us we're all saved through Jesus Christ. And the book of Acts is they're not changing their message, right? I mean, it's the same message, repent and believe. The first words of Jesus in Mark's gospel, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men to myself. So the job for Greg Laurie is no different than the job for us. It's no different than it was for Billy Graham, or it is for Franklin Graham, or Ann Graham Lotz. It's no different than it was for uh, Billy Sunday, or Charles Finney, or D.L. Moody, or any, any previous evangelist that we know of, or the Apostle Paul, or the Moravians who went to the Caribbean from Germany in the 1700s to preach the gospel to the people in the Caribbeans, the Caribbean nations. It's, it's no different. The gospel has not changed, ever. There's one faith, one Lord, one baptism. See, that's the beauty of Jesus Christ. We don't get lost in the way. We're not fading with Alzheimer's or dementia and lost in the way. Jesus will always be the way. The equality of being saved by faith in Jesus will be there for us if we're, we're bleeding out in the battlefield and we know we're going, or if we're fading out with a terminal illness slowly. The equality of Jesus saving us is the same 
for every one of us in this room. It's like the same amount of goats. It didn't change for nine straight days, right? It didn't change. They bought the same thing for nine straight days. And we still got three more days. On the 10th day, Ahizer, the son of Meshadai, leader of the children of Dan, presented an offering. His offering was one silver platter, the weight of which was, so these are the guys to the north, the last direction. The weight of which was 130 shekels, one silver bowl of 70 shekels, according to the shekel of the sanctuary, both of them full of fine flour mixed with oil as a grain offering, one gold pan of 10 shekels full of incense, one young bull, one ram, one male lamb in its first year as a burnt offering, one kid of the goats as a sin offering, and as a sacrifice of peace offering, two oxen, five rams, five male goats, five male lambs in their first year. This was the offering of Hahizer, the son of Meshadiah. On the 11th day, Pegiel, the son of Akron, leader of the children of Asher, presented an offering. His offering was one silver platter, the weight of which was 130 shekels, one silver bowl of 70 shekels, according to the shekel of the sanctuary, both of them full of fine flour, mixed with oil as a grain offering, one gold pan of 10 shekels full of incense, one young bull, one ram, one male lamb in its first year, as a burnt offering, one kid of the goats as a sin offering, and as a sacrifice of peace offering, two oxen, five ram, five male goats, and five male lambs in their first year. This was the offering of Pagiel, the son of Akron. On the twelfth day, Ahira, the son of Enan, leader of the children of Naphtali, presented an offering. His offering was one silver platter, the weight of which was 130 shekels, one silver bowl of 70 shekels, according to the shekel of the sanctuary, both of them full of fine flour, mixed with oils of grain offering, one gold pan of 10 shekels full of incense, one young bull, one ram, one male lamb in his first year, as the burnt offering, one kid of the goats, the sin offering, and as a sacrifice of peace offering, two oxen, five rams, five male goats, and five male lambs in their first year. This was the offering of Ahira, the son of of Enon. So here we go. Now you're, you're Asher and Naphtali, the last two tribes, right? So you're bringing up the back end. It's like the, you know, the Huntington Parade, you know, on 4th of July. Of course, this year was a little different, but the normal 4th of July parade. You know, they're lined up there on PCH, north of the pier on BCH, and they're all in their place, and they all, you know, make the left turn on the main street, and they end up, you know, at the shopping center just past Huntington High School. Someone's going to be the end of the parade. Someone's bringing up the back end of the parade, and for this, God just chose it. They'd be the last. Naphtali's the last. You know, can you imagine, like, hey, dude, better late than never, right? You know, like, you know, someone, someone's got to be 12. Someone's got to bring up, like, that's how life works. It's, it's order. So Naphtali comes, bringing up the rear. Here they come. And what, to me, I just remind us that whether you're Naphtali and you're the 12th tribe or Judah, the first one, we're all accountable. Again, every one of these guys represented their people. And they came, they brought, you know, by, by day 11, day 12, like, they, they, like, hey, you got this. Like, we watch it. This is the way it works. You know, you get the goats, you get the sheep, you do all this. this is the peace. That's the burn. Get the grain, get the flour, all that stuff. And here we go. Like, we've done this. You know, it's, it's not our first rodeo. Let's go. Let's do this. But still, when you go there and you bring that, you represent your tribe, your people. You represent your tribe and your people. You're the tribe of Naphtali. You're not the tribe of Judah. And if Naphtali chooses hundreds of years later to obey the Lord and tear down their idols, maybe they don't go into captivity with the Assyrian Empire. And maybe they get to stay in the land a couple hundred more years like Judah. You see, though there's equality and there had to be blood and they, and they went in order and they all, you know, they all came the same with the same amount of gifts. They're all equally presented with the same gifts. There's still accountability individually and specifically. Some of the tribes had better record with the Lord than other tribes, just like some families do better than other families because more people choose to walk with the Lord generationally than other families. There's a accountability. 
So Naftali can't show up like, hey, <laughs> yeah, I'm just, you know, like I'm on special teams football, like the football team, like special teams, the guys only come in a few times or, you know, they got the uniform on, but they're not playing like, like you almost get lost in the shuffle when it's all going on. You're like, hey, I just want to have the uniform on. You, you're in. What, what? Yeah, you're in. Kick the game winner because you're just as accountable as a starting quarterback. Now go out there and do the job. We're all accountable. So even though we're all saved the same way, we all stand before the Lord individually. We stand before the Lord individually, like Naphtali or Judah. We stand before the Lord individually. And we might come the same way by the blood of the Lamb, Jesus Christ, through faith in him, but we stand individually. I'm, there's no doubt the Bible makes clear we all stand before the Lord alone. We stand alone, and each one will give an account. And that's what I see here in the last point that I bring up is that Naphtali is not Judah, and Gad's not Asher. And each of these men have a name that's different than the other guy that came. And they have different parents than the other guys that came. They have different wives, different children. We have an accountability. We all bring the same gift. Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior, but we all have an accountability. Now we wrap it up for tonight, verse 84. This was the dedication offering for the altar from the leaders of Israel when it was anointed. Twelve silver platters, twelve silver bowls, twelve gold pans, each silver platter weighing 130 shekels and eight, each bowl 70 shekels. All the silver of the vessels weighed 2,400 shekels according to the shekel of the sanctuary. The 12 gold pans full of incense weighed 10 shekels apiece according to the shekel of the sanctuary. All the gold pans weighed 120 shekels. All the oxen for the burnt offerings were 12 young bulls, the rams 12, the male lambs in their first year 12 with their grain offerings, and the kids of the goats a sin offering 12. And all the oxen for the sacrifice of peace offerings were 24 bulls. The rams 60, the male goats 60, the lambs in the first year 60. This was the dedication offering for the altar after it was anointed. So these are all, that's the sum total of those offerings, obviously. And then we read in verse 89. Now when Moses went into the tabernacle of meeting to speak with him, he heard the voice of one speaking to him from above the mercy seat that was on the ark of the testimony from between the two cherubim. Thus he spoke to him. That's a pretty special passage to end the text. So Moses, he's the mediator. So this is how the chapter ends. This is where we end tonight. Moses, they've done all this, 12 days. It's been a procession. It's been a big deal. Head count, everybody's accounted for. The offerings cover all 12 tribes, all the Levites. They got their carts. The Gershonites got their poles. Everyone's got what they got. Listen, WG, everything is in place for great things to happen. Everything is in place for great things to happen even as it is every morning we wake up and seek the Lord. Things God wants, he's, we saw it last week, he's a blessing God. But if we confess our sins and make things right, then everything's in place for good things to happen. And they were all ready to go. They, they've done, it's just, it's like the plane's on the runway. It's just, it's just ready, to, they're ready to go. And we're ready to go. I hope you're ready to go. I just, I'm ready to go to heaven. I'm ready to go to tomorrow and what God has for tomorrow. I'm ready to go to the ends of the earth, although I prefer certain countries I probably wouldn't want to go to. But God would change my heart if I was sent to that country, I would think. I never woke up until last year thought, I should go to Russia. You know, like, I thought I should not go to Russia is really what I thought. And then the Lord put in my heart, go to Russia. And now I just love to go back to Russia. But they're ready to go. But they're meant to be a people of faith. God set them up for success. He set them up for good fruit. He gave them Moses, who talks to God face to face, above the mercy seat. 
God spoke to them in that sense above the mercy seat. They're under God's mercy. They're under the blood. They got, they're all set up to go. And so I just close with this thought. We want to set ourselves up for success and good fruit with the Lord. Order, faith, character, all those things. And God, God's a blessing God and he's merciful. We're told his mercies are new every morning. So we can't stop because we've had a bad day. You know, if you're a closing pitcher in baseball and you get rocked and you lose the game, the most important thing is to get you back on the mound the next night. They say you got to have a short memory. And that's the way it is with walking by faith, walking by grace, and being under his mercy. His mercies are new every morning. We just got to reload. All right, here we go. You know, you just got to reload. We're the cross, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the promises of God, they set us up for success. Good fruit. Keep that in mind with the future we're all looking at individually and as a church collectively.